pray. Lord, we have come to believe in your love and mercy through a cascade of voices and lives coming to us over the generations. Grant that we may so hear and absorb your word today, that others may truly meet you through us. Amen. Please be seated. Twenty-six years ago, in a couple of weeks this month, Bishop Scott Field Bailey stood just there and spoke to a full church. He had come home to All Saints to ordain a new priest not for the Diocese of West Texas, of which he had been the Bishop Diocesan, but in answer to a request from a colleague, another Gulf Coast friend and bishop, Charles Farmer Duvall of the Diocese of Central Gulf Coast. To the people of All Saints and to the friends of the Ordinan, Scott Field spoke and said he wished he was ordaining on behalf of the Diocese of Texas. Of course, that young ordinand was me. You can laugh. <laughs> and I'd like to think that Scott Field was present with us yesterday and is present with us today as we celebrate together. Oh, what twisted paths our lives proceed on. Twenty-six years ago, almost, I celebrated my first Eucharist as a priest here at this altar. Was the altar still against the wall then? (laughs) There's disagreement. It's it's the church, after all, right? And I had that opportunity because of the graciousness of Bishop Scott Field Bailey once rector of all saints, but even more because of the love and support and guidance I received from the great cloud of witnesses God has gathered here to be the people of all saints through the generations. For 26 years, what I learned among the people of all saints in this complex congregation with your school, with your relationship with the student ministry at the Diocese of Texas, and with your commitment to justice and outreach. For 26 years, your work has shaped and challenged my ministry as I have served in Mobile, Alabama, and in Dallas, and in the Diocese of Texas as canon to the ordinary. It is good to come home. It is good to be here to say thank you to you. I know that there are many here among us today, different families and individuals among you who weren't here 26 years ago. Thank you, Jesus. You know, that's how the church works. I brought a couple myself who weren't around then. And Scott Field's not the only one who now only joins us as a member of that great cloud of witnesses. 
But churches have DNA and character. And you are heirs and stewards of the life of Christ that fed me as I served here as youth minister and as field ed student and as a deacon in the first few weeks of my priesthood. In other words, as a person who didn't know what she was doing. (laughs) And I'm happy that you welcome me back once again, a person who doesn't know what she is doing. (laughs) And as if that was not blessing upon blessing, Cynthia and Stephen have prepared and welcomed me here today and and have invited others to join this cloud of witnesses with whom we will share the work to which Christ calls us. Together, my friends, we are living and proclaiming an old and long story, a story of love and of mercy and of liberation. As presiding Bishop Michael Curry says, We serve a loving, liberating, and life-giving God as we walk in the way of love. And I learned that way of love here. In today's gospel lesson, we read an earlier chapter of that same story, a story of the liberating God breaking in and liberating person after person and using people to liberate others. Paul and Silas go to Philippi and they're walking around the streets preaching the gospel and Paul grows annoyed. Now did you know that God can use your annoyance as a liberating force? I just we need to work harder at laughing in those moments in scripture when absurd things are said, right? It's the surprise. Right? So Paul is preaching and and there's an enslaved girl. A girl whose name we are not told. A girl captive both in body and in spirit. A girl whose only value in the world is the coin she puts in her owner's pockets. That's how she's seen. And God puts a spirit in her that day and she says the truth. As Paul and Silas are preaching, these are servants of the Most High God and they proclaim a gospel of liberation. And Paul grows so annoyed at this. This happens day after day. So annoyed that he turns and calls the the spirit, the divining spirit out of her and she is free. She's liberated from that which has held her will and her identity captive. <clears throat> Now, of course, she's still enslaved. And her owners and the townspeople are enraged. And so her liberation that has been brought by Paul and Silas becomes the moment of their new captivity. They have served God without 
concern for the cost. And they are beaten and thrown into a small, dark, dank cell and chained. But Paul and Silas's captivity is different from the girl's. Because she's bound in body and in spirit. But Paul and Silas are in the midst of that darkness singing praises to God such that they're entertaining the whole prison. Might have annoyed the jailer, but they don't tell us that. (laughs) We wouldn't understand why Paul can act that way except that we know an earlier chapter of his story how he had given his life to persecuting the church, how he had gone around gathering up and and harming and speaking against and even witnessing horrors like the stoning of Stephen. He was captive in spirit, thinking he was serving a great good. And on the road to Damascus, God spoke to him, a word of liberation and life. Paul goes into Damascus and Ananias becomes the agent through God of Paul's liberation. And so when Paul is thrown into prison and chained, the jailer couldn't catch all of him. I mean, there's a way in which your body can be enslaved or oppressed or held captive, but your spirit can still be free. And Paul and Silas had that spirit of hope and life, and so they could sing God's praises to the moment of the earthquake when their chains were broken and they were all free. And the earthquake, right? Follow the story. The earthquake then because it becomes the moment to reveal the captivity of the jailer, who is so afraid of his employers that he is going to impale himself. He's going to kill himself because he's afraid his prisoners have gone free, and whatever would come next would be so bad, it would be better for him and his family if he were dead. And Paul, once again, speaks the word of life, on behalf of God, on behalf of Jesus Christ whom he serves. And he says, we are still here. Do not harm yourself. And then the jailer too, who was free in his life to do what he would, becomes liberated in spirit by the good news that Paul and Silas proclaim. And he is baptized. And he serves, he serves and washes Paul and Silas, their wounds, and then he is washed. And there is life. And the story goes on. We serve a liberating, life-giving God. And whatever binds human beings, whether it's the prisons in which Crowds of Americans suffer, or the detention centers where immigrants are held, or whether it is illness of body or addiction, 
whether it is family dynamics that are pressed, wherever people are held captive, God, through Jesus Christ, wants to bring a liberating, life-giving word. And we are invited, like Paul, to be liberated from what holds us, and then to turn and speak the word of liberation to others. We may need a bit of holy annoyance, right? What annoys you? What is it that pesters you as you walk about in this world that reveals to you that the people around you are suffering under oppression, are held captive in body or spirit? Lest you think I'm speaking just metaphorically, this week PBS Frontline played a documentary, Sex Trafficking in America. And they interviewed young women who are captive in the slave, in the, in the sex, sexual trafficking trade. And these aren't just foreign women imported in the promise of an American life. These are, though that would be bad enough. Right? They also deserve liberation. But these are like people living over on Windsor Road down the street from the new resident, the, the bishop's residence. These are people who are students at UT. These are our brothers and sisters who are held in this, in this um, cycle of violence and oppression. And those women they interviewed, they are women who have names. Yet like the girl in the story from Acts, they believe, they have been come to believe and they have been, been held in such a way that their only value is the coin they put in their master's pockets. And they come to believe that about themselves. And we ought to be really, really annoyed holy annoyance that grows into righteous anger such that we would act and find a way to speak a liberating word so that they might be free. My friends, we're about to welcome into this parish and into the Episcopal Church four new members. And as we have come to believe through those who have come before us, and we have taken on that work of loving and liberating and life-giving ministry, so we invite you to join us. God wills that all people be free. May God annoy each one of us as we go forth from this place so that we will speak and act and bring God's mercy and love to our world. Amen.